Hey, this is Melissa, creator and founder of Femtrepreneur, and you're listening to Fem Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fem Radio podcast wherever podcasts are found so that you can be notified when each episode goes live. But what it really is, is they're changing now the guidelines of how it is that they measure and determine if someone is below the poverty line. So it's not that poverty no longer exists, it's that you're defining it differently. So the issue is still there, but our ability to actually address that deficit and access, now it's like like we're fighting an invisible fight. It's like, on paper it looks like it doesn't exist, right? So it's kind of like just the beauty of public health. It's like a beauty and a beast, this idea that we are constantly fighting a fight that no one can really see, but we see the impacts mm-hmm. by being in the community every day. Yeah. It's like, you can't tell me that poverty doesn't exist. Yeah. When I walk through my neighborhood and I see buildings that are completely decimated, that outside people are coming in and trying to invest in a community that has a very rich cultural mosaic and they're being completely forced out for new development to put in apartments that nobody in our neighborhood can afford. Yeah. Or to bring in resources that nobody in our community can actually access. It's like, so really, what then are we solving if the problems that I know exist, you say do not, and now all of the money that you're throwing into my community is to build up on top of a foundation that's already crumbling. It's just, you know, that idea of perspective. Like, you could not possibly imagine what it's like to go through a day without being able to eat so that your children can because you piss in a gold toilet. So how can you tell me that this problem doesn't exist when you've never had to experience it yourself? It really is just like a lot of ignorance. We're in a really good place. Yeah, (laughs) I'm so happy we're talking about this. Because I've got a lot of things to say. It's like that meme Mm. when the room is on fire. It's like, everything is fine, everything's fine. Yeah. (laughs) You hear that? That's what I call passion. I sat with Ora Kemp for almost two hours to talk about her work with New York Common Pantry and why she decided to accept a role with their organization. And at the end of it, I have to say, I was partially disappointed, but not for the reasons you think. After nearly two hours, I was disappointed in myself for not doing more for our communities, for throwing out food that I probably never should have ordered, for not understanding that each day, Mothers and fathers wake up struggling to figure out how they are going to feed their families, sometimes sacrificing their own meals so that their children can eat. And that's not all. Ora's passion for her work is easily noticeable when you speak to her. But not only is she just talking about it, she is about it. Her work has become her lifeline, and each day she wakes up ready to make the world a better place, starting with the Bronx. New York Common Pantry served 500,000 New Yorkers last year, distributing over 6 million meals. This episode will shock you and move you, and hopefully by the end of it, you'll have the same feeling that I did, and you'll be inspired to volunteer, donate, or simply spread the word. As always, please rate this episode, leave a review, and let me know what you think. I am Melissa Goncalves, with no voice thanks to this bachelorette party weekend, and this is Femme Radio. Equity advocate and Ph. Bounder debt, Aura strives to blend scientific findings and social application through community development. 
She is committed to removing barriers to health, seeking out opportunities to connect people to necessary resources and fundamental education, tools bolstered through promoting dignity and supporting self-sufficiency. As a change agent committed to the equitable access to real food, she advocates for societal and political opportunities to connect community to resources that encourage and facilitate a culture of health. Very passionate about food insecurity. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's actually perfect. Right. That's the name of the game. <laughs> hey, Fem Radio listeners. We're here today with Aura Kemp. Aura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where do you live? Hey guys, what's up? Uh, I'm Aura. I'm the Policy Systems and Environments Program Manager for New York Common Pantry's Live Healthy team. I'm also a yoga teacher, an unprofessional book hoarder, and <laughs> collector of random information, lover of all things food. Uh, I've lived in a few places, so I was born on a naval base in Virginia. I lived in Kansas for a while, then New Jersey, and I moved into New York City about a little over a year ago. And I now live and work in the Mont Haven neighborhood of the South Bronx. Nice, nice. In Kansas, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about yeah, that trajectory. I'm definitely like the only Kansas number anyone has saved in their phone <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually like you're from Kansas. I've never met someone from Kansas. I'm like, we're out there. <laughs> we're out there for sure. <laughs> so, what is New York Common Pantry? So, New York Common Pantry is the largest community-based food pantry in New York City. Um, we are dedicated to reducing hunger while promoting dignity, health, and self-sufficiency. And that health piece was something that we actually just added in this year because we realized you can't really address a lot of the challenges that people are facing with accessing food without looking at the entire person. So at the core of our mission and the work that we do is this whole person approach. So everything from making sure that people have access to necessary resources of housing or being able to get access to food, um, tax services, laundry, showers, hot meals, making sure that seniors have access to programming and uh, access to food sources. There's a kind of like a full gamut that we do and there's six different programs within the pantry um, that all have kind of like their specialty niche and being able to approach this complex issue of being able to access food. So we have um, our choice pantry. What makes us a choice pantry is that when people come in for our pantry services, they actually sit down with someone at an iPad and they get to go through our full inventory of what we have available that day. And just like going into a grocery store, they get to pick and choose exactly what it is that they'd like to take home with them. And the amount that they are able to select is dependent on the size of the family. So um, we try and give as much autonomy and as much self-efficacy built into that system so that when people go in, they don't feel like they're getting a handout, but they actually have power over their choices and what it is that they get to eat. Our hot meals program uh, does breakfast and dinner. We also have like our brown bag meals where we package things up and allow people to take it with them when they come into the pantry. Our Health 365 team is our social services. So we have people who are there uh, seven days a week, sitting down with people and just running through all of the different screening tools to determine what it is that they're eligible for, whether it be housing, SNAP eligibility, EBT, being able to get access to housing vouchers. Um, There's a whole gamut of different things that they'll run for, and we try and see how it is that we can bring resources um, directly to people. Our Project Dignity focuses on our homeless population in New York City, which has been rapidly growing. I think the count that we got earlier today, um, as of April of this year, there were over 60,000 homeless individuals in New York City living in shelters. Um, Over 14,000, almost 15,000 of them were families, and almost 22,000 of them were were children. So there's a very large um, 
homeless population in New York City, and it's rapidly been growing. It's been increasing by about 70% over the last 10 years. So along with that, we do things like connecting people with an address so that they can receive mail. We give um, haircuts, showers, laundry services, um, mental health access. Like we have this full range of things that we are able to provide as part of our pantry services. And then of course we have our Live Healthy team, um, which is the team that I'm a part of and we can definitely get into more details about that in a bit. And the last one is our Nourish program, which is our senior services. So that actually services all five boroughs. Um, with that, we are able to get subsidy and commodity foods and package them up and distribute them to seniors, helping them to kind of alleviate some of the burden of cost because mm -hmm. most seniors are on a fixed income or they're very heavily dependent on any kind of federal social benefits program. So um, being able to provide services to our seniors is the largest population in New York City, continues to grow. Um, so we reach a lot of people through that program as well. Wow. Yeah. That's we we awesome. do a little of everything at the Common Pantry, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say. So how did you get involved with the organization? My background has kind of always been uh, anchored in food. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, I always worked in food service. Uh, at the age of 22, I bought my own restaurant. Um, I studied nutrition and food studies in school, and then I went into the realm of public health. And um, I've always just been very intrigued by the power of food. And being in an academic realm, um, like I recently started my PhD, and with that, you learn a lot of theory that goes into food access, and you learn a lot about all these different models that could be implemented or should be implemented to help increase food access, but without the actual real-world application, it's just all theory. Mm -hmm. And I found myself getting a lot of this heavy access to you know, research studies in very controlled environments, being able to create this massive change, but... The second you take something off of paper and try and apply it into a community, it's a completely different paradigm. Yeah. You have to understand that there are so many other variables that go into it, and you're never going to get this clean sample of people who are only changing one thing about their life in order to get more access to fresh fruits and vegetables. It's a series of different things that have to work in collaboration in order to make that change. So after being in the academic realm for a while, I felt like I was... Um, I was a little bit limited in what it was that I was doing that I needed to do more. So I started to kind of just put my feelers out there to see which agencies were working in this realm of food access. And I came across New York Common Pantry, and when I learned more about it, more about what they were doing, I saw that they had some openings with their Live Healthy team. And I was like, I need, I need to be more involved, more on the ground, hands in it, really trying to work to be able to create that change. Um, and it was just where I need to be. Yeah, it's yeah. the right match. Yeah, it just worked out. Plus, like, sitting in a classroom, like, once you get to past, like, the age of mm, 12, you're, like, tired of sitting in a classroom, right? That's very and So, true. like, being, like, seeing all this stuff on paper, you're like, okay, I get it, I get it. But yeah. actually being able to be in the real world, it pre presents these, like, very complex challenges, and you try and tie it back to these things that you learn and say, okay, so it worked in this setting, but if I manipulate this, or if I just try and mm -hmm. kind of change that one thing about our approach, can it actually be a applied in a real world setting yeah. and help real people get real access to real food um, and it's just been it's been a phenomenal opportunity to be able to do that with the pantry wow yeah so how can someone get assistance through a new york common pantry all right so there are a couple different routes the first one is you can just 
contact us, um, whether it be giving us a call, checking out our website, nyincommonpantry.org, um, or coming to any of our sites, speaking to anybody who works for the pantry. We all have this naturally embedded like desire to help people get mm-hmm. access to things, so we are more than happy to guide you to the proper person who can help. Uh, we have our two locations. The first one is our East Harlem location at uh, 8 East 109th Street. The other um, is uh, closer to Hunts Point. The address for that one is 1209 Ho Avenue in the Bronx. Yeah. And with that, like we have our Help 365 team there at both sites. So our social services team there to actually sit down with people and go through the whole process of seeing what they're eligible for. Um, everybody can get access to the pantry. It does not matter if you are eligible to receive other federal benefits or not. Like baseline, you will get help from us, support from us, resources from us. But we also want to see what else you're eligible for because you deserve to have access to those resources as well. On top of that, we have 365 Mobile, and that is a team that goes out and meets you where you are. So if you're limited in your ability to actually get to us, don't worry, we'll come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have social services that will go out. Um, they set up at a lot of our school sites, community sites, any sites where we distribute um, for our Nourish program, and they'll actually sit down with you. They'll go through the whole entire process, which has actually been a really big benefit for us because with the new public charge rule, um, with with you know all the changes that are happening in our government right now, a lot of people are afraid to seek out resources because they feel like if they're a burden on the system, it's going to hinder their ability to get their citizenship. Mm-hmm. So they've actually seen like a massive drop. Uh, Two hundred fifty thousand less people are on SNAP because of the public charge. Interesting. And so the number of people that are eligible for services and not actively seeking them out because of their fear of having it held against them for being able to. Uh, attain citizenship yeah. um, it shouldn't be an either or situation if people That's need help they need help and um, just that that level of fear this the possibility that mm-hmm. it could be held mm-hmm. against them has has you know, deterred them from even seeking out those resources. And that's something that we're actively working with our 365 team to kind of take out that fear. It's like, don't worry. Yeah. You don't have to come in if you're afraid. We'll come to you. We'll sit down and talk to you. We'll let you know the proper information so that you can still get access to resources even if you don't want to have the possibility of making that whole situation and process a bit murkier or having it come back later and be like a negative notch on your record. And again, you can always receive pantry services without having to go for any of those other federal benefits, which also helps out the process a little bit more with easing Mm -hmm. that tension or fear in receiving resources. I think it's very eye-opening because, you know, you don't know unless you either do your research or you speak to the people who are really on the front lines. Right. So from your statistics, how many families do you all serve on a regular basis? So last year we ended up serving 500,000 New Yorkers and distributed over 6 million meals. Wow. Um, Our choice pantry, so our food pantry, um, distributed... Healthy grocery packages for over 26,000 individuals just in Manhattan in the South Bronx. Um, our Nourish program serves over 13,000 seniors at multiple sites every month. And they actually were just uh, awarded their new grant that is going to allow them to expand that to another 15,000 individuals every month. Wow. So we're going to be reaching, I mean, over 30,000 seniors starting in October mm-hmm. every single month delivering food directly to them. Our social services, so our Help 365 and our Help 365 Mobile, uh, work to help acquire over $8.5 million in services, benefits, and um, 
housing assistance, SNAP, uh, tax prep, and other benefits that we are partnered with. Um, and our project Dignity, which is our homeless services, um, we provided over 60,000 meals uh, a year, and we help with housing assistance and hygiene services for over 800 individuals every year. Um, and with the population of homeless rapidly growing in New York City, we expect that to continue to grow every single year. Wow. Yeah. That's eye-opening. We do a lot of work, man. I think just that served 500,000 New Yorkers last yeah. year. Like, not 500, not 500, <laughs> 500,000. Yeah. We That's, do a lot. Yeah, wow. we do a lot of, of really, really phenomenal work. Wow. So how do you get the inventory in your common pantry? How does that, you know, how do you find all of the inventory? <laughs> Where do you find all this food? <laughs> um, <laughs> great question. Uh, so... Uh, we just show up to work and it's brought to us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we have our own farm. No, I wish. Um, we actually, we, we do it through a collaboration with a lot of really phenomenal partners. So we have a history of being able to uh, step into an area where food is a scarcity or there's an emergency setting um, and be able to provide a much needed resource. So with that, we kind of have the reputation and cloud to be able to go to some of our larger organizations and be like, hey, this is what we do. You want to be part of this. Get involved with us. Let's do this together. Um, so using that, we kind of leverage, you know, this organizational capacity and hunger prevention knowledge, being able to go into different partner sites and say, like, let's do this together. A big one that we just got was the Hunts Point Food Distribution Center, um, which is the longest, largest food import in the world. Like more food comes into the Hunts Point Distribution Center than everywhere else, anywhere else in the world. But so little of it actually goes back into the Bronx, kind of jumps right over the Bronx and goes into Manhattan or it goes into anywhere across the tri-state. Like it doesn't actually stay in the communities that are carrying this burden of actually having this ginormous facility there. So we wanted to change that. So we ended up building this relationship with them. They came on as a partner and we are now getting massive donations of fresh food directly from them every single week. And with that, we're able to take that food divvy it up and distribute it directly to those 500,000 New Yorkers who are coming through our doors every single year. We have partnerships with uh, Trader Joe's. They'll send us food. Um, Whole Foods will send us food. We have massive amounts of donors. So just people who, whether they're doing a food drive at their school or doing it with their corporate group or around the holidays, we have a massive Thanksgiving drive. And we're able to, you know, just because of our size and our our ability and our structure, we're able to take in these things from all of our sources and then distribute it. So it's donations. Mm -hmm. It's all donations. Um, And on top of that, as part of our organizational structure, 70% of our workforce is nothing but volunteers. So of all of the hours that we put in in a year helping to bring these food and access and resources directly into our community, majority of that is volunteers. Mm -hmm. And it is such a critical piece of our of our agency's ability to continue to deliver these services directly to the community is being able to tap into that resource, um, you know, people power, and being able to tap into that ability to bring different sources together to tackle this massive issue of food insecurity and food scarcity in New York. 
So we get very, very lucky by like how many people we have dedicated and people who've been volunteering with us for years and years and years continue to come back because they know that if you give us the opportunity to take on this challenge, we are going to meet it head on and we're going to get it done. But none of that can be done without our donors, without our volunteers, without all of our our, um, partnerships, with all of these larger organizations and agencies and businesses Mm -hmm. that believe in our ability to actually get those services directly to the community. Yeah. I actually think sometimes it's pretty good to name drop those partners because I think we're finding in like our society now, people, if they can't directly involve themselves with something, they want to involve themselves with an organization that right. is doing the right thing. Right. So it's good to know that there's companies such as Whole Foods and Trader Joe's who are out there and they're like, all right, yeah. we have all this product. Exactly. So let's make sure we're doing the right thing like, with it. Give me, give me, yeah. give me, give me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what's wild is with this new, you know, tax bill that came out, this new, you know, all these new regulations that are going into the tax system. Um, the individual incentive to give has been eliminated. Mm-hmm. So um, when you start to see like these little subtle things that that used to be givens, like we used to be able to rely on a certain amount of resources yeah. coming in so that we can continue to, to grow and expand and help more people. But what we're finding is the more changes that happen within the government, the less incentive there is for people to give, mm-hmm. the less they give. Yeah. So having that long-standing reputation with people and being able to say, like, we've relied on you for the last 10 years to get these things done. Mm-hmm. You're going to continue stepping up even though it's no longer incentivized, right? Yeah. Uh, the idea of being able to give from a place of, like, compassion mm-hmm. or being able to give from this place of, like, need, yeah. um, it's a reality mostly for people who have experienced it. And when a lot of people in New York City haven't necessarily experienced it themselves, it's easy to be disconnected to it. Uh, we did the SNAP Challenge as like an agency-wide challenge back in April, and we challenged everyone in our agency to live off of $34 worth of food for an entire week. And a lot of people couldn't do that. I mean, that's, you go to Starbucks three mornings a week and that's it, that's $34, right? right? This morning was, I'm pretty sure, six fifty. Exactly, so you know, when you start to realize that look, Awful. those little things, if that was your meal budget for yeah. two days, and you were able to spend it on your morning coffee, yeah. It's like the idea of being food insecure doesn't even go across a lot of people's minds. So what we really saw the biggest impact is when the government shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm. So people who used to come into our pantry as volunteers were now lining up to receive a pantry bag. Wow. All it took was four weeks. Four weeks for people who, with PhDs, with jobs in the government, lifelong governmental workers, all of a sudden were put into this position of insecurity. It's a fragile system, especially in New York City when there are so many other variables that go into being able to just generally survive, let alone thinking about thriving, but just survive. Mm -hmm. The second that something is taken from that piece of your structure and foundation, everything comes crashing down. And for something like housing, food, water, clothing, the necessities, necessities, those shouldn't be a struggle, right? Like, getting a car should be what it is that you have to work for, not getting food onto your plate. And unfortunately, we're currently in a system that doesn't understand how invaluable it is to provide basic necessary services for people to thrive and contribute as part of a society. We're trying to to address all of those things at the same time. An organization that is outputting as much as you guys are, you know, you're involved in so many different facets of the city and so many you know you got your hands all over the place you wear a lot of hats (laughs) so what do the operations 
look like for this organization? Paint me a picture. I mean, I imagine, do you have distribution centers? No, we're really, I mean, when all things considered, we're a pretty small organization. Just really yeah, hard work. We're, yeah, we're just, we just all work really hard. Um, so we're a fairly small organization, um, but we have, like I was saying, we have our two pantry locations, one in East Harlem, one in Hunts Point. We also have our, um, our warehouse mm-hmm. where when our donations and deliveries and everything first come in, that's where they go. And from there, they process it, they put it into the inventory, and then from there, they distribute it between our two pantry sites based on the volume and attendance that we get from pantry members. From there, it comes in, when people come into our pantry, they go um, into into our like waiting area, um, they'll get checked in with their pantry card, um, and then a volunteer will sit down with them where they will select all their items. And once it's submitted on the iPad, it goes directly up into our pantry our pantry area. So a ticket prints up on the machine, a group of volunteers are there, they'll grab that ticket, they'll slap it onto a bag, and based on what it is that they choose, they'll go through and they'll collect all of the items that that person can. So in between the time of when the person submits their order and when they make it upstairs, the volunteer will have their pantry bag waiting for them. They'll call out their name, they take their pantry bag, and they're off and on their way. Um, that's essentially our whole process from start to finish. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's pretty quick, it's pretty streamlined, and in that we have all of these other things sprinkled in. So if you're coming in for um, our, our Nourish services, our Nourish program is kind of like the similar system. We also have all of our distributions that go out to our Nourish sites. Mm-hmm. So for seniors who can't physically get into either our office at 138th, which is where I work out of, that's also our Nourish site, so it's one of our senior distribution sites. If you can't make it there in person, then it comes to you where you live. So you don't have to worry about going out of your way and carrying you know, 10 mm-hmm. pounds of food all the way back to your home, right? Yeah. Um, if you come in for our Project Dignity services, it's all housed right there in our East Harlem location. So you come in, you're able to get everything that you need right there. And then our Live Healthy team will actually meet you um, in pantry spaces. So we do like nutrition demos, cooking lessons, and you know recipe tastings um, at all of our pantry sites. So when people come in as they're waiting for their name to be called, we'll go through a little nutrition lesson with them. We'll let them try a recipe using an ingredient that they'll get in the pantry bag that day. We'll provide them information on that specific ingredient, um, how to you know, preserve it, um, how to prepare it. Um, any of its specific nutrition information of relevance, like we'll give you all of those tools mm-hmm. and try and educate people so they at least have that level of baseline knowledge going into utilizing their pantry bags. Um, so we try and get everybody at the same exact time, and then if we can't get you to come to us, we will come to you and do yeah. the same exact thing. Let's talk specifically about the Live Healthy program. Yes. So what are some of your goals with this initiative? Okay, so our biggest thing is that we want to be able to create healthy behavior change. Mm -hmm. So within our Live Healthy team, we kind of have like two complementary approaches. The first one is our direct education team. Um, They do all of our nutrition education, all of our workshops, all of our recipe sampling. Um, So with that, we will go into school sites, community sites, into our pantry locations. We will go and do like wellness events. We'll set up our table. We'll sit down with you. We'll go through the full recipe. We'll give you information on it. And our whole entire goal is just to be able to help to create healthy behavior change. So whether it means eating more fruits and vegetables or reducing the amount of sugar you're consuming or getting you to be physically active for 10 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day, like just something, either intention to change or actual behavior change is what we're going for. With our uh, PSC team, so policy systems and environments, we look at your surroundings 
we look at general access. So not just, you know, what grocery stores in your neighborhood or where can you access fresh food, but also how affordable is that food? Is it actually available to you for you to purchase for yourself and for your family? We look at the policies that are in place that actually get food into your community. So whether it means going down and speaking at city council about being able to bring in new reporting measures for nutrition education in schools or being able to speak on behalf of a bill that's going to be passed, we like to get involved in those things because they shape that bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and additionally, we'll go into a community, into our community, and we'll say, okay, so what environmental changes can we make here in order to make food more accessible for our neighbors and for our community members? So if we see that there are no grocery stores in a community, or the grocery store that's there has really terrible produce, mm-hmm. the quality is just really bad, um, then we'll start a CSA. And be like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to go ahead and do this. We're going to start a CSA, and we're going to find an external grant or an external funder that's willing to give us money to help subsidize the cost of it so we can get families enrolled for discounted amounts, and they will be getting fresh produce directly to their family. So we look at a lot of different areas, you know, this whole entire idea of access is kind of a spectrum. So there's like, you know, Uh, educational access. So being able to actually understand why it's important for you to eat healthy, Mm -hmm. right? That's one piece of the puzzle. Another one in access is affordability. Like, can you, if it was right in front of you, do you actually have the ability to purchase it? Which, when you're working on $34 a week, and you, like, go into Whole Foods with $34, I don't think anybody in the history of time has ever gone into Whole Foods with $34 and been able to feed themselves for the afternoon, let alone for an entire week, right? That's true. Nothing against Whole Foods. magically delicious but when you're looking to feed an entire family and you have such hardline restrictions on where it is and how it is and how much food you can actually Mm -hmm. purchase everything becomes a trade-off if you're buying whole foods it means that you can't pay your phone bill or if you are um, you know, going to the store and buying you know, 15 pounds of fresh produce for every person in your family, you might not be able to cover your rent. Yeah. So there are these constant trade-offs that happen, right? So not just saying what is there, but also actually being able to purchase it, right? And then locality is an issue of access. If you're someone who um, has a physical disability and you're not able to get to your grocery store or carry home 10 pounds of produce, or seniors, if they come to the farmer's market and get all this produce, but then they have to walk uphill to take it back home. Chances are they're not going to be able to do that. There are limitations. So whether that means you know, building into the structure a shuttle system mm-hmm. that goes to our senior sites and then brings them in to the farmer's market and then helps to shuttle them back, that's a whole other part of the piece of access that might not be on the minds of people when they're talking about what it is that's readily accessible to yeah. them. So we kind of work in this wide range of of areas to try and make as many of the choices when it comes to eating and living healthy as easy as possible because right now it's much easier to go to the bodega and buy a bag of chips it's a lot cheaper it's a lot more appetizing and it's tastier than eating like the old bruised banana at your dunkin donuts you know like it's just these little things like you know and the way that we shape our communities is what determines how it is that people live and for us, you know, we were built as an agency out of community need. And we've remained consistent in that from when we started off as Yorkville Common Pantry with 30 families 
and growing all the way to what we are now as New York Common Pantry and serving over 500,000 a year. It's about a commitment to being able to provide the best possible services so that people with the most need are getting access to the resources that they fundamentally need in order to survive. Mm -hmm. It's just baseline. You went back to school to get a PhD in urban health. Um, So what connects you personally to this cause? I've always been in love with the power of food. And I think the first time that I really saw magic happen was like in my grandmother's kitchen. And she, um, she would develop goiters, which I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever, yeah. So um, for anybody out there who doesn't know, a goiter is caused by an iodine deficiency that causes the, uh, the glands in your throat to swell up. Um, so just underneath her chin, just around like the corner of her jaw, she would develop this golf ball sized uh, swollen gland in her throat. And whenever I saw her in the mornings and that was on her throat, I knew for the next three days we'd be eating nothing but cucumbers and tomatoes with iodine salt. Like, I knew immediately what it meant. Everything became a salty snack. Cucumbers, tomatoes, celery, anything that we had had a little sprinkle of salt on top. All of us were in it together. But the beauty of it was every single morning, after having those snacks, you would see it shrinking. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother didn't understand nutrition. She wasn't trained to understand nutrition. But there's this um, innate understanding of the power of food that we as humans on this planet are just naturally and organically connected to. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you know, with this divide that's come in um, you know, certain small group of people producing our food, but everybody consuming it, we now have like this whole, you know, food gets produced behind a curtain we go into a store and it's already packed and prepped and you know processed Mm -hmm. to make it easier for us like the first time I broke to my niece that chicken nuggets were made out of chickens like the ones on my aunt's farm she cried for like two days my sister was pissed like (laughs) like the idea of making this connection between (laughs) Like, the food on our plate and where it comes from doesn't exist. Was that also when you told her that Santa wasn't real? Or? Oh, no, I thought that was <laughs> much earlier. <laughs> so, you know, that idea of being, like, connected to the power of our food, recognizing that um, what we put into our body has a direct impact mm-hmm. on how our body manifests either health or dis-ease. Yeah. Like, you know, we talk about disease. It's like what it actually is is your body is no longer in balance or harmony with what it needs. You're not feeding it the things that it needs in order to thrive. And I understood that very early on, watching this giant gorder on my grandmother's throat grow and shrink based on what she put into her body. So early on, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't know how it was gonna happen. At first, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. but then I realized like how crazy that was. And I was like, but I want to work with food. And my mom was like, well, you can't put that in somebody's head. So, you know, I ended up instead being like, yeah, I want to be a food doctor. Um, so I started off with my bachelor's in nutrition and food studies. I wanted to become a registered dietitian. And then they forced us to like a required course is this class called food and medication interactions. And that kind of like baffled me. Uh, I didn't understand why it is that the professionals in the field of diet and nutrition were being taught things that can be applied only after someone is sick. Like the power of food is meant to be a preventative tool in being able to create and protect our health and well-being. So the fact that they were requiring us to only look at 
individuals after they've developed an illness, after they've been prescribed medication, and then adapting how we approach it based on the prescriptions that they were given. I was like, this is so backwards. This doesn't make sense. So it's like, I don't want to do this. Like, I refuse to take the class. And they were like, you have to take it if you want to be a dietitian. I was like, I guess I just won't be a dietitian. So I was like, okay, so what would I need to do then to address this issue of food imbalance and body dis-ease before it got to that point? And they were like, well, why don't you study public health? I was like, okay, I can work with this. Why not? So then I got, I got my bachelor's in public health with a minor in, in, in food studies. And then I went on to get my master's in public health with a focus on community health education. And now I'm doing my PhD in urban health. And you start to notice that no matter how much education you attain, the simple basic understanding of food and the power of food to be the strongest preventative tool that you have in defending your own health mm-hmm. is still like an aha moment for people. It's the same aha moment that I had when I was a kid sitting in my grandmother's kitchen. Yeah. But now I get to do that on a larger scale. Yeah. Now I get to do it behind the scenes when people don't even know what's happening. They just notice that all of a sudden they have fresh produce in their community. Mm-hmm. Or when they go to pick up their, their child from school, there are people there selling to you fresh produce grown right here in New York State. Like All of the work now that I get to do opens up these doors, and I know that the impact that I want to have on the future and the work that I want to be able to um, really influence and be a catalyst for can only happen if I have the authority behind me of being able to say like I'm a doctor in this field I know what the fuck I'm talking about Um, not to mention that like I've been training for this since I was a child yeah Um, so it's just like a love and passion that's always been there and I hope that by you know, attaining a PhD, it gives me the authority that I need to be able to walk into any room and be like, no, 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 I'm the expert in this field and I'm going to help yeah. you to figure out this complex puzzle. Let's do this together. Dr. Kemp, <laughs> you can trust me, I'm a quarter doctor. Yeah. <laughs> just like you said, food has such a positive effect if you just switch it up and you add things in. And I think it's so important, especially with your common pantry, just the, the thought that you're not just helping to feed families, but you're helping them to be empowered to make the right choices, and you're also providing those choices to them. Right. Whereas in a lot of other cases, I'm not sure that they get that option. Right, and we're actually rolling out um, in a few months a new system called Healthy Choice Pantry. So um, let's say you come into the pantry, you know nothing about nutrition, you know nothing about what you should be eating or could be eating. Um, there's going to be a little icon now on our screen that's just like a little bag with like fresh produce sticking out of it. And if you press that box, this is similar to like an Amazon one-click style. Mm -hmm. Uh, You click that box and it automatically selects all of the healthiest things from each category. And it predetermines your bag. You still have the option to go in and switch things out based on your preference, of course. But it takes that that need for knowledge and understanding of nutrition education to be removed from the equation. And instead, like if we have the option of white rice or brown rice, we would love for you to choose the brown rice. We would love for you to do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't know, and the only thing that's familiar to you is white rice, but by getting you to choose a healthy choice bag, we're now going to help you make a healthier choice. We're going to help you learn how to cook brown rice. Yeah. We're going to help you learn the benefit of it as opposed to having white rice. And if, if rice is a staple in your diet right now, you're now going to make one small change yeah. by selecting a different item 
that's going to benefit you and your family past just that one decision, yeah. right? So, you know, and that's something that we're doing not just to change our level of commitment to this idea of healthy eating and health promotion, but it's also to set a standard for our donors. Mm-hmm. Like, we love that you give food. We'd rather it be lean proteins and fresh produce over Chef Boyardee. Yeah. And we're going to hold you accountable to that if you want to partner with us. Yeah. Like, we want to make sure that everybody understands that it's not just about giving people food, but it's about giving people the right food. Mm-hmm. It's about giving people who need it the most the right food. Yeah. And it's going to have the greatest impact on health because they're not getting that access to real, complete, wholesome food anywhere else. It's kind of like kids in school. Mm-hmm. When you're getting two to three of your meals from your school, but all of it is freeze-dried, pre-packaged, microwavable, just heated up and served, yeah. if we're able to change that paradigm, if we're able to change that menu, we can now get three healthy meals into a kid every single day as opposed to three unhealthy meals. Right? Which is exactly what we're trying to do right now in District 7 in the South Bronx with being able to bring in scratch cooking from Red Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Like, they're now going to be able to provide for you food that's culturally relevant, things that kids are familiar with, things that are familial, so things that they actually recognize on the plate, but all of it is from scratch and all of it's real food. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you rather have that for your kids than having prepackaged yes. microwavable meals? Like, it's logical. And then when you teach kids at a younger age to be able to recognize healthy food from unhealthy foods, mm-hmm. as adults, getting them to add a little bit of greens onto their bacon egg and cheese every morning isn't such a struggle. It's just innately what they do. Yeah. Like when you got into this career path where you ever like, this is common sense. Why, like, why is it not easier to achieve? Oh, of course. I'm going to be so frustrated. I mean, I'm a little bit biased. Okay, so me being someone who's always been intrigued by food and nutrition, I feel like I am biased when it comes to being like, of course, why wouldn't you? Um, But it helps when you put it into like real measurable things for people. So if I told you that by adding in, strictly by changing nothing else about your diet, but just adding in three more portions of fruit and vegetables every day, you would push off the development of diabetes by 15 years. And that means for 15 years, you would not have to purchase insulin, you wouldn't have to go to the doctor, you wouldn't have to do any other changes, just adding in three more servings of fruits and vegetables a day. That's proven science. Changing nothing else about your diet, just adding in things that are fortifying your body. You can have that kind of impact. Uh, People see it with like the smoking epidemic. You know, if you cut out a pack of cigarettes a day or if you eliminate one cigarette a day, whatever, you'll you'll actually add days to your life, mm-hmm. right? Food is something that we do three times a day, most of us. Some of us more, some of us less. But every single day, we're putting things into our body that are either going to promote health or promote disease. And the second you understand that connection, the second that you're like, oh, wait, if I choose something fresh or something processed, I could add a few more hours into my life. Or I could push off hypertension. Mm -hmm. Or I could um, minimize my uh, genetic predisposition for developing diabetes. Mm -hmm. These little, little decisions add up to really big impacts over time. And when you start to talk to someone about the entire spectrum of their life, from beginning to end, it's like for the first 20 years of your life, you did not eat well. Or for the first 20 years of your life, you didn't know what eating well looked like. Yeah. So that's your foundation. What are you going to do from here on out to help promote health and wellness 
so that you aren't digging yourself into a hole of disease. Because once the medical bills start rolling in, everything becomes very real. Yeah. Everything becomes very real. Don't even get me started on the entire medical field and like the cloaked nature of like medical charges. But once medical bills start rolling in, it becomes very real for people. There are so many people in like medical debt because they didn't have these tools available to them earlier in life. And because we're training professionals to only look at people once they're sick, we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to address these issues at the point that would have the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. The sooner we get to people and provide that understanding of like the choice that you're about to make when it comes to your food is going to have the greatest impact on the rest of your health for the rest of your life. Making that connection is vital in actually being able to create lasting change. And that's what we're out here trying to do every single day, even for the people that society has been like, push you off to the side. You don't need to know this. You'll get whatever it is that's available to you. We're now looking at it and saying like, no, you were the ones who need it the most. Yeah. And we're going to make sure and do everything that we can to make it as easy as possible for you to make that transition. It's just about putting in the effort where it's going to have the greatest impact. And we know that this is where it's going to have that impact. Yeah. This is, a, this is very important. Mm-hmm. This is an important organization you're doing everything you need to do to empower people to make the best choices and to give them um, those stepping stones to like just the thought process that there's families out there who truly can't afford to eat don't have access to get the right foods or can't get the right foods can't afford the right foods just like I it like boggles my mind Mm -hmm. and then to think of how much me personally when I'm eating how much I'm throwing out that I'm not actually consuming oh we did a whole well like we've talked about our whole monthly focus is like food waste, like how to repurpose things in your food so that nothing goes to waste. Jay just made something earlier today. It's like these little veggie cakes using stuff that we grew in our garden and using like what beet green, what was in there? It's beet greens, um, spinach, cilantro, dill, parsley, wow. um, a little bit of flour, a little bit of cheese, some eggs. But it's basically like what to do when your like salad greens are going bad right and you don't want to throw them away you don't want to make a salad you don't want to throw it away it's enough to do something so you literally put all that in the blender and just like a pancake you just like dollop it onto a little pan fry it up squeeze a little lemon juice on it genius it was so good it was so good and that's something like there are ways to reduce waste and eat an entire plant and be able to get more meals out of it but people just don't know when you don't know, you don't know. Which you is can't help yourself when you don't have access to that information. Yeah. So we're trying to, we're out here trying to school folks. What is they can do to eat healthy? I appreciate this. this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we ask the same question to each of our guests. Mm. You know, who embodies the word femme to you? Mm. Um, you know, it can be a personal or a celebrity, um, just someone who really embodies that badass. Ah, okay, so... Femme Phenom is without a doubt Angela Davis. I hope you're listening to this, Angela. I want you to, I want you to know how incredible you are. <laughs> um, she's an activist, academic, author. Uh, she was once on the FBI's most wanted list. She's just like so dope. Okay. She really like looks at like the potential that society houses and actively works to address it from, you know, this bottom up perspective. And she, like one of my favorite quotes from her um, is that, Radical simply means grasping things at the root, which is really parallel to how a lot of public health professionals approach the work that we do every day. We call it upstreaming. So 
it's looking at something like a health outcome and then tracking that outcome, whether it be like obesity, diabetes, hypertension, back to its root cause, which is usually diet, physical activity, and overall understanding and knowledge of food, right? So in the United States, when it comes to creating equitable policies and practices that shape the environments that we live and how we're able to access those needed resources and services, you start to see that the interconnected nature of our work doesn't happen at the surface level, right? And in the realm of urban health, it's a consistent negotiation between what is needed and what's provided. And the level of engagement it takes to ensure that these the two parallels are met can be really exhaustive. And it's oftentimes lopsided towards one side or the other. And then the work that you do in the realm of public health and urban health is really to constantly manage and negotiate that balance for the benefit of all people to be able to access you know, what it is that they need in order to survive and be able to promote subsequent beneficial health outcomes. So we have to dive a little bit deeper into the challenges and address them from the bottom up. And it's a radical way to apply public health approaches directly to the root of the issue. And it's exactly what we're aiming to do in all of our work. It's what I aim to do with my work in the realm of public health. Um, And in my community and the communities that we serve, they deserve a radical approach to addressing decades of disenfranchisement and neglect for provisions and access to basic human necessities. And Angela has really committed her entire life to being a trailblazer in the field of shifting the paradigm towards more equitable and just society. And my team, um, they're committed to it in a way that like, you know, when I ask something of them or when we look at a new challenge, it's not just about like, okay, how can we, how can we do this well? It's like, how can we personally challenge ourselves to not just do it well, but be the best ones at doing it. As an agency, we've looked at each of our programs independently for a long time. And over the last few years, we've been starting to look at like, well, wait, like if we collaborate cross programmatically, we can have a greater impact and be able to catch more people into this. Or if we know that our community is suffering from some of the worst health outcomes in the entire state, the Bronx, South Bronx, was ranked 62 of 62 out of health outcomes in the state, right? And that's a title that we've been able to hold on to for years now. Like, <laughs> it's not just like it's this isolated thing. In the entire state, if you live in the South Bronx, statistically speaking, you're going to have the worst health outcomes out of everywhere in New York. And it's not, wow. it's not by chance, it's by design. So when you start to recognize that like there are these problems that exist and we're seeing the outcomes of those problems, my team now gets to look at it and say, okay, let's upstream this. Let's look at the root cause of this. And let's be radical enough to say, we are going to go in at the root cause of it and we are going to pull it out. So for us, when it came time, like we recently just applied for our next round of funding. And with that, we decided to change our approach as a team. We decided to leave behind some of our initiatives and really look at what our community needs the most. And we decided to design our entire program by looking at the health outcomes that are happening right now in our community and saying, where can we have the greatest impact? Mm -hmm. If we know that we come in dead last for beneficial health outcomes, how can we change that? What can we do? What needs to be addressed? And then everything that we did from that point moving forward was with this understanding that unless we address this at the root, it's not going to have the impact that our community deserves. And it's not going to have the reach that we need in order to see substantial changes, raising us up at least to 61 of 62 something, right? 
Like, and when we can start implementing these things in a community like the South Bronx, and when we can measure successes and say, by putting five more pounds of produce into every single pantry member's hands, we saw an increase in beneficial health outcomes by this percent, a reduction in hypertension by this percent, a reduction in prediabetes by this percent. When we can actually match that up with specific biological measures, we can then prove that our approach is working. And if it can work in the South Bronx, it can work anywhere. Yeah. And we know that because we have less resources, we have less access, and we have more barriers facing the work that we do than any other neighborhood in New York City. So the work that we do requires us to be radical. Mm-hmm. Angela tells us that we gotta do it in order to make change. And I'm all about being able to step up to that challenge and saying, okay, so what then would be radical in my community? How can I get people on board? How can I get buy-in from a multitude of stakeholders in order to make this crazy radical idea a reality so that the people in my community are living healthier, are pros- like are, are prosperous and are thriving and are able to actually think about more than just simply surviving. Mm-hmm. They deserve to have that kind of support. They deserve to have that kind of advocacy and they deserve to have people who are willing to step into that realm of being radical in order to make it happen because nothing that we've been doing to this point has worked. So we need to take a more drastic approach in the way that we're doing it. And NYCP is committed to being able to provide this multi-directional approach to being able to address a very complex issue. So I hope to make Angela proud and I really hope to be able to raise our number from 62 and I really hope to be able to do all of these things that we like as crazy kids are looking out here and like hoping for and praying for. But we also have you know, the, the ability to do it, the drive to do it, the commitment of our organization and really the support of everybody that we're working with to make it happen. Yeah. So there's no reason for it not to happen. So how can our listeners follow you and the New York Comic Pantry journey? Okay. So with following us, I'm going to kind of just throw out a few different things for everybody. So the first one, if you are in need of services, if you are seeking out services, please, please, please come and visit us either at our location on 109th Street, 8 East 109th in East Harlem, or come to our location in the Bronx, 1209 uh, Ho Avenue in the Bronx, or come to our office at 423 East 138th street second floor um we are there to help you seven days a week if you um would like to visit us online nycommonpantry.org you can follow us on social media nycommonpantry on all sites um also our live healthy team is live healthy nycp please do follow us we love to have people follow us on the social meets um and then for me specifically if you guys want to connect with me i am on most platforms my tag is organically aura so organically o-r-a um And yeah, and if you would like to reach out to me or connect with me, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, My email is okemp at nycommonpantry.org. I'm always around to answer any questions, to guide you to people who can help you with services, to connect with you if you'd like to see some initiatives come into the community, if you work for an agency that's interested in supporting the work that we do, if you work for a corporation that's interested in volunteering and donating and providing any additional support, if you know somebody who knows somebody who's like, I want to get into this fight, please, please, please connect with us. Um, The work that we do cannot be done without collaboration and support from a lot of different sources. So being able to have that support is so, so, so important. Um, 
also for the first time ever New York Common Pantry has a team running in the New York City Marathon and believe it or not y'all Aura is running in the marathon and yes I know yes that's the face that I had too when I found out um, so along with that we have our uh, marathon team we're in the thick of training for conditioning and things already so if you want to shoot me tips on how to survive 26.2 <laughs> you would like to come out for some donation classes that we're going to be doing to help raise funds if you would like to contribute for that please again just let me know um, I'm most active on Instagram um, you can connect with me there, slide in my DMs, shoot me a message, and the link to help donate and support is there on my page as well. Again, that's organically, O-R-A, on the gram and Facebook. So yeah, that's us. Aura, this has been incredible. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. You should have me back sometime. Honestly, <laughs> you should be a regular guest host here. I'm be happy to come and hang out and chit chat all of the time <laughs> no but seriously thank you so much for joining us is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with a little thing that I will leave you with is I'm going to share with you guys some of my favorite things to nibble on and eat because I feel like it's Ooh, always yes. helpful to have a little like what's your favorite food right um, yes. it's a question that we ask people a lot about their favorite foods um, minus English peas um, because they're sweet and green and delicious um, <laughs> and I had a really phenomenal like pasta carbonara the other day and I ate it like a beast and there was like no shame in my pasta eating game so I just wanted to go ahead and like put that out there for everybody so while you're thinking of this like you know just find something delicious and really enjoy it and taste every single morsel and then you know find it in your heart to also you know give a little whether it be time or resources um, to be able to help bring that same feeling of joy to the plate that others um, need and deserve and um, yeah show a little love by sharing a meal do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? Send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-T-E-E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag get femmed.